It's November 23rd. Welcome back to the Squashcast. I'm your host, Rob Beaumont, joined once again by Jesse Engelbrecht. Hi, Rob. Hi, everyone. Yeah, looking forward to dissecting the Qatar Classic, which recently just finished. Um, yeah, great event. What, um, just looking at it, um, Karim Abdelgawad, current world champion, managed to take the title, you know, the number three seed, beating Mohamed Shabagi in the final. Uh, we'll have a little look more through the event coming up, but interesting. I We did a bit of a prediction at the semi-final phase. I got it totally wrong again, so if any players out there want me to make a prediction against them, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure you, you can uh, slip me a bit of money and <laughs> I'll make sure that the other person loses if I predict it. So I did predict Daryl, I think, in the semi-final. Um, just looking at how well he's been playing recently, I, I thought he would be a good shot for it. Uh, really nice of him to give us a little retweet as well. We did we did uh, kind of capture his, his name in our Twitter and he retweeted. And then after Daryl went out, I then thought it would be Mohamed Shabagi. And again, I got that wrong. So great for the, the current world champion, Karim Abdul Gawad, to win that event. Rob, what do you think of the event uh, as, as a whole? Yeah, it was a fantastic event. This was one of the, the most uh, competitive tournaments of the season so far. And uh, talking of those predictions, I was correct first time this time. Um, first time I've been correct all season, I think. So um, only, only going to get better from now. So we'll start with round one. And round one and two weren't the most exciting uh, of the year. But if we look at some of the, the matches of interest... Uh, from round one, we had Diego Elias took Mohamed El Shabagi to five. He was in your list of top up-and-comers for the for this season. Yeah, it looks like he just needs that that bit of a breakthrough result. He's he's been really knocking at the doors in the last few tournaments, and and yeah, taking Mohamed Shabagi to five, you know, losing 11-5 in the in the first 63-minute battle. Yeah, maybe a bit of a tough draw for him, but you know, hopefully he can have that little breakthrough soon. You know, I, I've no doubt whether it's this season or next season, that he'll, he'll be able to break through pretty soon. Yeah, and also we had uh, James Wilstrop uh, against Chris Simpson. This started out quite a close match with Chris taking the first game. Um, but in the final game, uh, James just seemed incredibly ruthless and bageled, which uh, you don't see very often on the tour, especially with American scoring. Yeah, I know James, I think, is that, that, that man with a new lease of life now. He's really got back into his stride. And I saw somewhere, I think it was on Twitter again, that like people were kind of questioning why he bageled him and and i think james was really nice said well that's the amount of respect he had for chris simpson you know you're not going to take anyone lightly and and not necessarily going out to maybe bagel him in the front of his mind but he probably just played every point as well as he could you know and eventually the scoreboard was was an 11 love and i think i think any professional in that situation would do the same you know yeah i can imagine chris was a little bit off but then james was like you know what i'm not even gonna let myself get drawn into a, a slog fest and, and just closed it out Looking at the uh, another first round match, um, the Qatari Abdul um, Abdullah Al Tamimi, you know, took McMatthew to five games. Really top match that I managed to watch uh, bits of it, and you know, Nick was very gracious in victory, saying that that actually he didn't deserve to win on the day. You know, Nick was kind of complimented Al Tamimi, saying he was he was the better player, and, and Nick basically got a bit lucky inverted commas. But you know, I think that's that that's Nick who he is. You know, he's able to kind of get those wins out of those situations. So great for the local Qatari to really take Nick all the way, and, and the crowd was fantastic at that point. You know, really getting behind him and and lots of cheers and and hooping and hollering. So great to see that. But but again, it would have been nice to maybe see Al Tamimi progress around. Yeah, that match taking 71 minutes and the, the biggest gap in the scoring was the second game at 11-8, so everything else went to, to two clear at least. Um, 
the final game uh, from the round one that we're going to talk about is Darussel beating Omar Mossad. And I really wanted your opinion on this as to why you think Omar Mossad's just sort of fallen off over the last few months. Hard to put an exact uh, answer to that, Rob. You know, I think I probably like to credit Daryl more than, than Mossad not quite being on. Yes, okay, Mossad hasn't quite kicked on. Uh, I had some big predictions for him at the start of the season. I, I thought he would, you know, arguably get him to world number two and one at one point. But I just don't know. He just doesn't seem seem to be kind of hitting his targets. He doesn't seem to be playing the big points as well as he could. And someone like Daryl is, again, like, like James Wallstrop, you know, an elder statesman in 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 the game, you know, an English player that's kind of almost coming to the autumn of his career, but doing fantastically well, you know, really expressing himself. And I think someone referred to him the other day as as the White Rammy, which is which is quite nice to see. And and he is, he's got that real relaxed style, and 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 just he's really comfortable with his game at the moment, you know, moving the ball all around. And I suppose almost the modern game suits Daryl, you know maybe five six seven years ago daryl was very expressive and, and moving the ball around and maybe it didn't reward him as much but now that the game is that much more open i think it's actually playing into daryl's hands you know he's able to initiate and, and 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 move the ball to the front and you know make make the most out of it so yeah looking forward to seeing how he progresses after the christmas time period but in regard to Mossad, tough one. Um, I, I'm sure he's going to take a bit of time out of the christmas period reflect yeah he's got some tournaments on obviously but you know, I think he needs to maybe change a few things if he wants to kind of reach the heights that he did last season. Yeah, we can only hope for the best for, for him coming coming forward. Um, if we just skip to, to round two, not a great deal of upsets here. In fact, I think every game went along with the seedings, as, as you would have predicted, um, other than Gregoire Marsh beating Tarek Momin in, in five. Um, the, the match I want to highlight is, I think I've done this in a previous podcast, is Will Strott versus Rosner, because... I don't know what it is about this fixture. It always seems to be exciting, even though this was only three games. It was just a, a really solid, tough match. Yeah, as we know, not much uh, space left on the court once those two boys take uh, take to it. They're both looking to dominate the, the middle, volleying a hell of a lot. And yeah, Rosner just looked sharp. You know, you know, okay, the games were 11-7, 11-7, 11-8. So, you know, a couple more points in James's favor or played the big points a bit better. He might have nicked it three, love. But credit to Simon, you know, really hitting his straps kind of towards the end of the year. I just want to go back a step and mention Gregoire Marsh. You know, looking at his first round, he battled through a big five set against Mohamed Abulga in 54 minutes, then backs it up against Tarek Momin, a 76-minute 11-9 in the fifth win. And again, looking one round ahead of that, he took Nick Matthews to five, you know, just lose by, he lost the last game pretty convincingly, but an 85-minute match. So, you know, the young Frenchman really looking to, to stake his claim and, and maybe take the mantelpiece over from Greg in the near future. You know, he's he's one that, that looks like he's had a bit of a breakthrough performance there and, you know, three big five setters and, and, and not doing himself any shame in the process. So really interesting to see that. Um, Tarek maybe had the shine take him off him in the round before, you know, uh, you know, sneaking past Paul Cole, the the, the Kiwi, who was the qualifier, 17-15 in the fifth, 101-minute match, and I managed to catch bits of it, and, and both players were literally just collapsing in the corner by the end of it, an absolute beast. So, yeah, I think maybe Tarek was just a bit off, and Greg, okay, Greg had a five-setter, but, you know, 11-9 in the fifth, that can go either way. Yeah, I was talking about Paul Cole to uh, one of my opponents last week, and uh, I don't think he'd ever seen the player before, and he was absolutely astonished by by his ability. Um, looking good for Gregoire Marsh, as you said. We'll jump forward to the quarterfinals and talk about his match with, with Nick. And he did go two love up, which I don't think you'd have, you'd have predicted that to, to start with. But 
credit to Nick, he, he battled back in the third and fourth and eventually took it in the fifth. Yeah, like uh, just that—that's that's experience. That's the the holy grail of of what a lot of players are trying to achieve. You know, just just to be able to be two love down, Nick nicks the third, twelve ten, and you know then eleven eight in the fourth. I can just imagine Gregoire's kind of state of mind by that point was like, oh, here we go. Like Nick Matthew just starting to turn the screw, just going through the gears. But you know, Nick is such a, a battler, such a warrior. He's been there many many times, and you know. I, just because of his age and, and the times he's been there, I think that's what saw him through through um, through that match. So, uh, you know, but but again, Nick having a big five setter, you know, first round and then again in the quarterfinals, probably didn't give himself much left in the tank by by the semifinals when he had to play Mohamed Al Shabagi. Yeah, and if we look at Shabagi's match, he was taken to five by Simon Rosner, which 79 minutes of tough tough squash, and you you had some outrageous rallies. Um, <laughs> Demonstrated by the most recent Mega Rallies video from PSA Squash TV on the YouTube channel. Um, I watched that this morning and was uh, astounded by just Rosner's athleticism, um, always always pushing the top players to their limit. Yeah, Simon, he's he's almost like the nearly man. It's a horrible way to kind of describe him because he's, he's achieved great things in the game, but he just almost needs to get that win against someone in the top four, top five to really kind of get him get his momentum going, you know, losing 11-9 in the fifth against Mohamed Al Shabagi, 79-minute beast of a match. And yeah, I think Simon was saying how well he thought he was playing that week, and especially against James. I think Simon said that's probably the best match he's ever played. You know, he couldn't ask or couldn't script a better match. And it looks like he took it over into in Shabagi's match. But, you know, just, just that ability to win, I suppose, it just, just comes down to the nuts and bolts of that. He, he needs to win a match like that to be able to really then, you know, jump into the top five, top six at some point. So wish him luck because I think a lot of people like his style of game and, and like what he does. And hopefully he'll be able to kind of get over the line soon. Just looking at, uh, again, Daryl Salby, you know, uh, took out Cameron Pilly continuing his good run in recent tournaments he's he's really looks like he's hit his form at the world open and then this one you know really pushing Rami 3-1 and and yeah getting getting into the semi-finals uh you know a 3-1 match 12-10 in the in the fourth though 70 minute pretty pretty big stuff there but yeah again Daryl just finding that lease of life in the last two tournaments you know coming towards Christmas time uh, you know he looks fresh as anything has had a second kid now you know really settled down i think all of that is playing into his hands yeah it's really great to see that resurgence in in his career um the final game of the quarterfinals was uh goward versus marwan el shabagi and um this one seemed almost a formality for goward even though he did drop a game he sort of snuck through with a fairly easy uh a match overall yeah, look at the the round before, you know, Gawad, I think he's becoming known as the five-setter man these days, you know, just getting past Zahid Muhammad. you know, I say just 11 fifth in the final game in, in, in the fifth, 57 minutes. And yeah, maybe maybe Marwan might have sniffed something there, you know, Marwan won, beat Ryan Kaskeli, three love the round before. But yeah, again, I think just looking at what Gawad, how he started the season, you know, current world champion, you know, yeah, like not a massive surprise beating Marwan Al-Shabagian. I think that was what I mentioned in the last squash cast was the weight of the world championships on Gawad's shoulder. You know, a match like that could have gone the other way. And actually credit to him for, you know, dropping a game and then, you know, coming out and being pretty ruthless in the last two games. So, yeah, he's he's wearing that crown of world champion pretty well so far by the looks of it. And his I think his testament to his character and how relaxed of a person he is, he, he just seems, seems to be taking it all in his stride. Yeah, he's looked fantastically calm and efficient during his, his matches. So he can go those five sets with uh, without being too 
too much taken out of him for, for the next match. So we move on to the semi-finals, and um, we'll start with Gower versus Selby because this first game was possibly one of the best matches I've seen Daryl Selby play, um, taking it, uh, the first game 16-14 in uh, 19 minutes. So not the longest ma- uh, game we, we saw all tournament, but it was a, a, a fantastic performance to take the world champion to that, to that level. I agree. Uh, I think Daryl for that first game and a half was was arguably the better player. You know, he was he was the one, if not better. He was he was playing the bigger points just a bit better. You know, sneaking the first and nip and tuck all the way through the second game. But again, the current world champion probably knows how to kind of change his game up and then turn the screw a little bit. You know, there must be maybe I think probably at least five, if not seven years gap between the two players in age. So, you know, Daryl maybe just had a bit in his legs. And and yeah, I think Daryl's natural movement maybe got a bit exposed by Garwood towards the end. You know, Garwood finding those angles, finding the front of the court like he does. But again, really impressive from Daryl. And me for one, I predict Daryl to win that. Again, maybe I was basing it on uh, Kareem having the pressure of the world championship or world champion on his shoulders daryl probably hitting his best form you know arguably in the last 10 years you know that could have been a nice one for daryl to kind of take it and and as i said i i had seen daryl a week or two before playing and, and he did he just he looked he looked different in a real positive way just so sure of himself so confident of what he was doing so but again credit to the world champion he he came out you know tweaked a few things changed his game up and 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 just showed what he's made of yeah, and the match overall was over in 50 minutes, so it only took 30 minutes for Gower to win those next three games. Um, looking at the other semi-final, this was possibly the best match of the, the entire week um, with a, a real classic match of Mohamed El Shabagi versus Nick Matthew. And we've, we've seen this fixture many times in the PSA World Tour, and I think there's always that excitement to see these two play. They've had a bit of animosity over the last few years. It's sort of calmed away a little bit more recently, but this was uh, an 83-minute match of absolute hell it seemed like for the two of them yeah i agree absolutely brutal um you know shabaggy nick matthew must be what for the last maybe four or five years i think i think they've had a real strong rivalry together you know nick in the early stages showing his older statesman so to speak you know nicking those ones and you know shabaggy when he became world number one seemed to get the better of nick but this was you know rewind the clock three four five years and and nick matthew just looked so good you know just such a pity he couldn't win it and look at the scores you know 8 11 9 11 11 9 11 4 11 9 absolutely brilliant you know nick going to love up again and then you know there was a bit of controversy and i think i i read nick's tweets about maybe a decision here a decision there and i think nick very quickly followed it up saying well he can't really rely on just one decision swinging the course of a match Arguably, you could because it was such a big point at that at that moment, and you could tell Nick was a little bit bitter by it. And uh, yeah, I think it had such a such a bearing on the match that you know Nick two love up, and I think it was I can't remember the top of my head, but I think he was one or two points ahead in the third as well. And and there was a little bit of a, an interesting decision around the front backhand that could have gone Nick's way. It was probably the right call, but I think Nick saw that and it just maybe exaggerated his feelings about it. And then, yeah, like Shabagi clawing it back and, and, a, and a massive 11-9 finish in the fifth game. You know, Mohammed seeing that one out. You know, it, that, that was definitely one for the ages and, and probably one of those matches where, where I'll definitely download it and look to keep it, uh, you know, and, and use it as a reference because there was that balance between really pure squash and then really kind of attacking modern open squash as well. So it kind of it had everything, which was, yeah, fantastic to see in the semifinals. 
Yeah, great way to, to finish the semi-finals as well. And we look at the final now with Mohamed El Shabagi versus Kareem Abdel Gawad. And I think if you just plainly looked at the result of three love, you'd say that Shabagi had had a lot taken out of him in the earlier rounds. He had a lot of three twos. But when you actually look look at the how long the games took and the score in each of the games, and then look at the match itself, it's it's difficult to say that that's actually a factor because the first two games were incredibly close, very long rallies, very long games. Yeah, I think the first two games were about 25 minutes, you know, so about 50 minutes, over 50 minutes for the first couple of games, which is which is massive. And again, really interesting to see that someone like Gawad really kind of testing Shabagi physically. And, and by the end, yeah, I think Gawad, not only his shots won it, I think he really took all the edge off of Shabagi. Shabagi's movement in the last game was completely compromised. He wasn't moving naturally. He was he was taking that extra step to get to the ball, stumbling through a few balls in the front. So in regard to physicality, I definitely think it had a part to play, but not necessarily maybe in the first game and a half. But with Garwood able to turn that screw, that, that was really impressive. Um, what I found interesting as well was that that, that second game, that, that momentum shift that happened with Garwood, I believe, was 9-5 up at one point. And then all of a sudden, it was like 10-9 game point to Shabagi, with, you know, five unanswered points. And you'd say at that point, well, okay, here's Shabagi now. This is this is the real Shabagi stood up. And again, it just just that inner resolve that Garwood found, you know, managed to kind of just get that one point back, you know, to take it to 10 all and then, you know, able to kind of exchange points, exchange points and, and, and see out that, that second game, which could have been the difference. You know, Shabagi coming off, winning that 11-9 arguably, bit of momentum, maybe the tiredness doesn't come into it as much. I think Shabagi would have been really buzzing to kind of go in at one all and go, right, here we go. I'm really starting to ask questions of him, but it wasn't to be. And Again, Garwad finding this inner resolve, this inner mental fortitude that that he seems to have, have have had since the start of this season. Whether it's because his physical program is that much better, whether he's just more confident with his style of play, I'm not too sure yet. But yeah, all credit to him. And and still, Muhammad, let's not forget Mohamed Al Shabagi is still the world number one. You know, it's 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 no mean feat to become the world number one. And someone like Garwad really trying to, well, not trying to, but really kind of showing him little respect in that regard you know he's playing the world number one so what he's going to get on and do what he needs to do so super impressive from Gawad and and man I think this this rivalry I think a few people have mentioned it is one one to watch for the next five six years I think we, Rob you mentioned it in the last squash cast you know they're both the same age I think mid-20s maybe 26 I don't quite know at the top of my head and you know if, if they keep going like this this is going to be one for the ages you know going to be it's almost like interesting to see like debates is is Garwad more of the modern game again has he come in and changed the game a little bit you know Shabagi was definitely one of those four or five years ago where he changed the game the, the brutal pace what he was doing to the ball and moving it around and actually Garwad's come and actually nullified that and changed it up again so be interesting to see how they kind of swing back and forward over the next few tournaments and next few years yeah, absolutely. And considering they are the same age, this rivalry could last for five, six, seven years until uh, either one of them retires. Um, that third game was uh, a bit of a formality for, for Gawad. It was only seven minutes long. Um, and it seems sort of halfway through that Shabagi just was deflated. He's too loved down. He, he's had a very long week and uh, he didn't really have an answer to anything that Gawad, Gawad played. Um, so a fantastic tournament overall. Um, just got a couple of questions for you, um, unless you've got something else to say. Well, yeah, I'll just 
quite disappointing in the crowds you know early on tournaments or early on matches not much you know there was a good crowd for Altamimi the local boy but you know I think even in the quarters and the semis there was not many people there and really disappointing because it is it's such a stadium for squash that it's designed so well I've, I've been lucky enough to play there a few times myself and yeah it, Definitely not many people watch me, so I didn't get any of that feeling of what it should feel like in a final, but it's such a shame. But hey, it was it was good to see the final that like, completely packed out. You know, I think every Egyptian in Qatar and and their close friends and family turned up to that final. But Qatar do such a big promotion of it. It's it's in the newspapers. It's it looks amazing. And and the couple of times I've been, you feel like you treated so well. And there's posters around the town and on billboards, but. Yeah, I can't quite put my finger on why they're not getting the crowds there for those those early rounds. Maybe, maybe they've been so spoiled with squash. They've had so much good squash that they're only going to be there for the for the final bits. And you know, compared to what it looked like in the World Open, it was it was pretty disappointing to see the crowds. Yeah, real shame. But that can be quite common with uh, especially early rounds with squash tournaments. But um, people really want to go and see the big names as as they get deeper into the tournaments. So um, I just wanted to get your opinion on um, what do you think is setting Goward apart from the other players right now? Um, there's something just about his extremities. What I mean by that, he can he can go from really hard hitting and really kind of like straight lines and then mix it up with the most delicate, deft touch, you know. So that's what I think is he's he's better than the other players at the moment. You know, when he gets to the front of the court, as we've heard, people just don't know where the ball's going. You know, I think you mentioned it to me the other day. There's, there's almost that surprise element. You know, you see the players on the tee going, where's this going? This could be coming in at a thousand miles an hour, being pumped to the back. Or it could be the most delicate little quick trickle boast that you just don't see. And the players are rocking and rolling pretty much every time he's shaping up to hit a shot, you know. And it's, it's so impressive to see how he does it. And unconventional, I, I wouldn't say he's the most stylish player. I know that might sound controversial. But you look at someone like Amir Shabana, you'd say, wow, beautiful style and fluid. And Garwet just doesn't seem as stylish, but the effect he's having on the ball and, and the effect he has on his opponent's movement is absolutely like I've not seen it before. He is really quick, deceptively quick. When 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 he decides he wants to go to the front of the court and he's read the game, he is on that ball so quick. So his speed of movement on there, but that definitely has to be linked into his awareness of the game, how he sees the game, how he reads the game. He's he's moving onto balls with a bit of a calculated guess, a bit of a calculated risk, and he's doing it so effectively that the players are so shocked by what's going on. So I don't know, compare him to someone like Miguel Rodriguez, maybe not as as well, definitely not as kind of maybe naturally quick but Miguel would probably be a bit more kind of random tossing the coin in the air and seeing what's coming down whereas Garwood I think just reads it that much better so he's moving on to it and really kind of knows where the ball's going plus the added extremities he has in his game the the the, the, the quick hitting the real snappy shot and then the deft touch that's my opinion of, of of what's separating him at the moment and it'll be interesting to see how how that kind of be combated at some point yeah, and it's really good to watch that, that kind of deception because even as a, a spectator, you're, you're trying to figure out what he's going to do and not being in the game, you've got a little bit more time to, to watch the replays and, and sort of notice the subtleties. Well, what do you think uh, other players need to do to overcome this, this, well, let's say, dominance? I'll let the players come to me. I've got my own secret. and No, I'm joking. I've got... <laughs> not that I've got no idea, but... Uh, I think most players are scratching their head at the moment. I'm sure a lot of people are watching videos of what he's doing and, and even the commentators said that they're quite surprised how often he catches people out with that trickle boast in the front backhand. So, 
you know, he's he surprised a lot of people. He surprised us. He surprised the commentators of how much he's burst onto it at the beginning of the season. I, I don't think anyone in, in, in would, would bet a lot of money saying he would have been the world champion and won the Qatar Classic immediately afterwards. Not saying he will get worked out, but, you know, other players are, are smart. They'll adapt. They will rein him in at some point. There's still something that... I would like to see him be tested physically. I know that that people have and they can take him to five sets and that, but actually kind of stretching out his movement, getting him, getting him twisting and turning, getting him twitchy on the tee, getting him not sure where it's going. I don't think anyone's doing that at the moment. Someone like Mohammed Al Shabagi is 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 raw. He's like raw power, raw brutal ability, and but that doesn't really test. Gawad's movement in like a oh where's this ball going kind of way. So you know I'd probably like to see someone. Not mimic Gawad's style, but but have a little element of where you can plant doubt into his movement and stretch him around the court. How that gets done, I'm not sure yet. But you know, in my opinion, that that's what I would probably suggest to see how someone can kind of take that dominance away. Anyone you think would be uh, best at implementing that kind of tactic? I don't know someone like even like a James Wilstrop, if I'm honest, if if he gets it right and and can really start to kind of get his hold, his disguise, and then onto the ball quick and and mix it up, I think if he gets the balance right in his game, and again, not your you know not maybe a massive threat at the moment. Inverted commas. Look, he has been world number one before James, but you know his style of play maybe mixed in with a bit of a bit more kind of raw power and raw aggression would be really interesting to see because yeah when james gets gets his his lines going and his accuracy and his holding there's no one better in the world you know he, that that that's his training he does drop and drive for hours and hours and hours and and you know he's hitting such fine targets so yeah i would be interesting to see if james can kind of get himself or he's in good shape but kind of get himself against garwad at some point and and actually james's best game against garwad's best game that would be a real interesting matchup yeah, I'd definitely love to see that coming forward. Um, so we're going to look at just a few tournaments coming up uh, in the next few weeks. We've got the Women's World Teams in Paris in uh, November, um, followed by the British Grand Prix held in Manchester at the end of November. Now that's a 70K tournament, so that's going to have a lot of the big names. But we also have an interesting one that we noticed before we started recording, which is the Channel VAS at St. George's Hill. Now this is possibly the biggest tournament in Europe with 100K um, not everybody in the top 10 is going to be at this tournament. Yeah, listen, great few tournaments coming up before Christmas time. Women's World Teams, you know, around the corner, followed up by the British Grand Prix in Manchester. That That's that's always started to, well, not started, but that's always been a, been a really attractive event. Not the hugest prize money, but it, it, it does attract a lot of the top seeds. And then looking at the channel VAS, uh, you know, just down the road from where where we're recording this in, in Weybridge, like a, like a fantastic club, you know, real traditional English club, all whites uh, kind of clothing, and it's it's beautiful. And to have a hundred thousand, you know, dollar event down the road is fantastic. Um, it's been sponsored by one of the members, I believe, who who owns Channel VAS, and all the proceeds are going to the Click Sergeant Children's Charity Foundation, which is which is fantastic. So he's inputting all this money in and actually not taking anything back. And yeah, just looking at the top seeds, you know, Garwad is an obvious one that's not there. You know, Mohammed Al Shabagi is the number one seed and Omar Mossad the two seed. So on paper, you know, you'd look at that and you go, yeah, like this is one surely for Mohammed Al Shabagi to really kind of get his teeth stuck into. If it goes to seeding, uh, Mohammed Al Shabagi should reach up or should come across 
Miguel Rodriguez in the semifinals. But again, Miguel's form has been a bit iffy of late, and, and Miguel probably has to get past Matthew Castagna at some point. So it be interesting to see. I think it, it, it slightly looks... It looks quite even across the board, but you know, I could see this being quite a quite a, a standard tournament in in that in that kind of form. Yeah, and I certainly think if El Shabagi can find the form he found in in the Qatar Classic, I know he didn't win in the end, but he did play solidly throughout. That I think that sh- that should be his for the taking. Um, the big tournament coming up is the Tournament of Champions in January, January tenth. So um, that's that's a big player's favorite tournament and certainly the location itself is pretty stunning yeah you know what one one of the, the greatest tournaments out there you know with the the backdrop of grand central station uh, how it's organized john nimick been doing it for many years everyone loves it to bits you know so i'm sure the players over the christmas time are going to be a bit frugal with their their alcohol and their partying you know maybe not like the england football team but <laughs> they'll they'll be trying to peek at that tournament i'm sure but listen like we, we're so spoiled for tournaments at the moment you know in the next squash cast i'm sure we'll be talking about about a few of these events and and just depends when we can get time to record you know we'll definitely do something before the tournament of champions and you know it just looks so exciting at the moment and this is the real peak time for the for the for the squash season and you know, this is where the movers and shakers might start to take place. You know, Garwad is, is really putting his name in there for, you know, world number one position. Can Mohamed Al Shabagi, you know, do do something at the British Grand Prix pre and the, the channel VAS VAS? Yeah, and we'll just we'll just have to see where it goes from here. So, you know, keep watching. I know we we're gonna be watching loads over the next few tournaments. And yeah, if if, if you're liking what we're kind of saying here, please do help support and please do help kind of spread the word about it because because we really enjoy kind of recording this. Yeah, and we've had a we've been very lucky that there's been a few tournaments in a row so that we were able to to record these podcasts for such big events. Um, thank you very much for listening this week. Don't forget you can find us on all the usual places: Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. Um, we will see you next time, hopefully before the tournament champions, but if not, around the 20th of January next year. Thank you very much, and see you next time. <laughs>